0: Chasing Lights Chapter Fifteen Is there a Good Way to Say Goodbye? Some believe that closure is possible. If the right words are said and the right things done, perhaps the end won't haunt us. Perhaps the rest of life will be free of any unfinished memories. So far, that has not been the case for me. There are always beginnings, but the end never happens. Perhaps until the final end and Maybe not even then. Graduation from high school is supposed to be a perfect goodbye ritual. It's a celebration of what came before it and an embracing of what is to follow. It took me by surprise, just as summer always did in Alaska. The cold snow and darkness suddenly ended when a warmish day arrived without warning and I received a notice that I had to order a graduation gown and go to a photo studio to get my senior portrait taken. All the male students were supposed to wear suits, and I didn't have one, so I borrowed one of my father's neckties. Wanting to differentiate myself somehow and to refer to all the work I did on the school newspaper, I wore an old fedora hat with a press card stuck in the band, just like a movie version of a reporter in the 1930s. The photographer asked me several times to take the hat off, and confident beyond reason, I refused. He took the picture. It was never published in the yearbook. It is unclear to me why, in the last few weeks before graduation, I was suddenly eager to embrace rebellion in some way. I was also supposed to wear a suit under the graduation gown, and I wore dress slacks from work, but since there were no rules about shoes, I wore an old pair of sneakers with a checkered pattern all over the canvas, and no one seemed to notice, but as I sat on a folding chair in the gym, I felt like a true rebel. The sort of rebel that doesn't bother anyone too much, though. The graduating class was large, so the ceremony took a while. Seated in alphabetical order, I went up on stage to shake the dean's hand early in the ceremony so I was able to relax as my classmates went up after me. Time went by quickly, even though hundreds of students had to shake hands. It was over before it started. Everyone left the gym and rushed outside to throw hats in the air and hug friends and family. It was late May, and the snow was mostly gone. The air dry and cool, and the sun shone brightly. I kept waiting for things to become exciting. Now, we tried to generate that excitement. Hey, best night of our lives! Freedom! We did it! All I could ask myself, though, was is that all? My friend had his van and a few of us said goodbye to our families to climb in and go off for an epic night of parties. It was an old cargo van without side windows and no seats behind the driver and navigator seats. Now those two seats felt like captain's chairs with armrests and a commanding view of the road ahead. Usually we squatted on boxes or milk crates in the back and we'd take turns up front. And despite the discomfort and lack of any meaningful heat in the winter, It sure felt rebellious and cool to arrive somewhere in a van. We could almost imagine that we were part of a scrappy rock band arriving at a gig. But let's be clear, that was only impressive in our imaginations. In real life, it wasn't. Someone said, let's party in an awkward way since it wasn't something any of us said ordinarily, but we yelled it in unison anyway as we drove around town We had spent a lot of time in that van, the four of us. We would drive up and down Northern Lights, up into the mountains, or just ramble around the quiet streets of town. We talked about school, about new music and Star Wars. It had been about five years since the movie had left the theaters, but we still talked about it a lot. Sometimes we talked about books and every once in a while about girls. What else do teenage boys talk about? It's it's clear to me now that we weren't really talking about those things. The words were just a veneer over what was felt underneath. What we were really saying inside were things like, I don't know what I'm doing. Life is dull. When will it change? I'm frightened that everything will change. But What if I'm not up to it? What if I can't find love? Help me and walk with me through the darkness. We gave each other comfort and understanding, even though we never explicitly asked. We drove around town for hours, looking out the windshield and filling silence with words. On graduation night, our first stop was a party that some other kid was having at his house. We parked a block away, then got out and walked. We could hear the loud music immediately, as well as the shouting and laughter that spilled out of the house into the garage where a couple of kegs surrounded by kids were leaking beer on the driveway. It was the scene of any number of teenage sex comedies from the 1980s, complete with kids already vomiting and a fight on the front lawn and Red plastic cups strewn all around. The expectation was that we should dive into the Bacchanal. That's what graduates were supposed to do. But as we got closer to the scene, we walked slower and less confidently. Getting sick or into a fight didn't seem like the best way to celebrate, not for us anyway. We stopped, we turned around, we left the party. We drove around town some more. It was a weeknight, so there was no teenage traffic jam on Northern Lights. Nothing exciting was going on. Just another Thursday night in May. There was nowhere to go. I mentioned that my dad had a Betamax video copy of The Graduate. Maybe we should watch that together. A Betamax was an early format of videotape that was phased out long before movies could be streamed on the internet, but at the time it was a big deal to watch any movie on demand at home. We had to do something on graduation night. We thought that, well, maybe watching that movie would help us mark the day to say goodbye. By the time we got to my house, it was late and my family was going to bed. The four of us crashed on the couch and floor in front of the TV and watched the movie. The 1967 film was supposed to be a twisted romantic comedy where Dustin Hoffman's graduate is seduced by one of his parents' friends, Anne Bancroft. As exciting as Ms. Bancroft was to us, the movie struck us as sad. It expressed the despair of finishing one thing and not knowing what happens next. The movie and our lives at that point were in limbo. What's wrong with limbo? I mean, it isn't tragedy. There's no clear danger and no big work to do. Just waiting. Like Samuel Beckett's Estragon and Vladimir in Waiting for Godot, we are frantic with waiting. In limbo, despite all effort, nothing meaningful happens. There is discomfort, awkwardness, and a cage that can't be seen and can't be broken. No matter what other people might see or how much they say that this is a time of freedom, it isn't. Limbo is prison. We wait. We fell asleep before the movie finished. The sun had gone down for a couple of hours and when it came back, we woke. My friends went home, I took a shower, and went to work. I worked throughout the summer. Once a week, for a little exercise, I climbed Flat Top Mountain, a 3,500-foot peak which is part of the Chugach Range on the edge of Anchorage. It was possible to drive to a small parking lot 1,200 feet from the top that is just a little ways beyond the subdivisions of houses built lower down on the hill. Aptly named, the top of the mountain was a flat plateau with amazing views of the city and Cook Inlet. It was the most climbed mountain in the state. The climbing can be intense, but it didn't require special expertise. Well above the tree line, hikers sometimes helped themselves walk by pulling hand over hand on rocks. I would run and sometimes stumble my way to the top, stopping on the plateau to catch my breath, and take in the amazing view. Limbo, wasn't so bad up there. The best part, however, was on the north face. In June and July, the winter's snow hadn't completely melted on that side. Warm from the run and still exhausted, I would sit down on the snow and slide blazingly fast down the 1,200 feet to the parking lot below. I've yet to find such an exhilarating workout anywhere else. And looking away from the city, there was a high valley, a a ridge, then another series of peaks beyond. I wondered what it must be like. A friend of mine was an experienced alpine hiker and agreed we should go on a little trip together. With packs loaded for two days in the mountains, we sat out on a day of bright August sunshine. From the parking lot, we walked off the trail to climb that ridge. At the top, Instead of a valley on the other side, there was a flat plateau slanted down towards the city on the left and gradually rose towards the peaks on the right. We went right into a bank of mist and light drizzle through low lying bushes and moss berries. Walls of exposed rock rose to our left and on the right, a precipice dropped farther and farther as we walked with more peaks beyond. And despite the weight of our packs, I felt light, as if we were hiking through the clouds, which we were. In an hour, the easy ledge turned to the left and all greenery ended. We were now surrounded by rocks, boulders, and mountain peaks, and the mist cleared and the sun shined warm on us as we stopped for lunch on a comfortable flat boulder. Bread, cheese, and caribou sausage was cut and eaten with our pocket knives tasted amazing, and we looked out on the mountains as we quietly and gratefully chewed, almost as if it were a sacrament. A few feet away was a vertiginous drop to a valley we couldn't see from where we sat. The peaks on the other side were sheer vertical rock faces that pierced the sky as fast-moving clouds parted to go around on both sides. We didn't talk. It was difficult to find words to interpret what we saw all around us. It was awesome. It was frightening. There wasn't much room for carelessness up there, but I felt calmer than I had felt all summer. Epic scale pushed away small worries. Later in the day, We found a partially sheltered area even higher in the mountains. We pitched our tent and watched the clouds rush up to us from below. The wind was howling as it whipped around the peaks while clouds came from every direction, looking like sentient animals as they battled the mountaintops above us. We threw our packs into the tent to help keep it from blowing away and made a dinner of nuts and raisins. There was no way we were going to get a camp stove going in that wind darkness fell suddenly, as did the torrential rain. We quickly got into the tent in our sleeping bags. It was crowded inside. We set up our packs as pillows and fell asleep quickly as the storm raged outside all night. As the morning light dawned, we slowly woke up. It was still raining softly. Except for a few runs outside to go to the bathroom, we stayed in the tent and played cribbage. We talked, of course, but not about anything in particular. It was unspoken that after all the years helping each other in science class, blasting across the snow on the cross-country ski team, trying to replicate Keith Moon's epic fills on his old drum kit, and playing moose in his driveway. Moose is uh, an Alaskan variant of the classic driveway basketball game, Horse. After all that, Our friendship was essentially over. In a few weeks, he went to New Hampshire and me to North Carolina, paths unlikely to cross again. The rain stopped. Quickly, in case it started up again, we packed everything up and made our way back. It then started to rain again. All the way back, we hiked in silence. The last I heard of my friend, he was working as an astrophysicist in Colorado. He may have been the coolest, most put together guy I knew in high school. I'm grateful that he let me tag along on a journey to an alternate mountain universe to play cribbage in the rain. In the weeks that followed, one by one, everyone left. It happened quickly And quietly, without ceremony, and usually without goodbyes, one friend, then another, finished packing up, then took one last drive on Northern Lights on the way to the airport. We were scattering, not just hundreds, but thousands of miles away from each other. I was the last to go, as my school didn't start until the middle of September. Labor Day passed and I still had a week and a half to go. My room was packed into the two canvas duffels and a suit bag that my father gave me for graduation. I quit my jobs at the record store and the radio station. Everyone wished me well. There was nothing left to do but wait. At night, I loved seeing the cobalt blue runway lights at the airport. The lights created an abstract outline of the invisible runway, just like an early video game. Every plane that took off was going somewhere extraordinary. Inside were people going to excitement and adventure. Every full-throated jet takeoff was the beginning of a dream. A friend of mine had decided to stay in town and go to the local college. He had a car and sometimes he and I would park near the end of the runway to watch, hear, and feel the planes take off. There were usually uncomfortable pauses afterwards as I thought about leaving and he thought about staying. One afternoon we drove up a road I hadn't seen before. It went beyond the houses, then beyond pavement until it became a steep gravel road with an unspoiled view of the gun range and Cook Inlet pulled over to the side of the road and we got out. The area seemed remote but was remarkably close to town. We should buy this, he said. The land is for sale. This side of the ridge is a fraction of the cost of the other side of the ridge. We wouldn't even have to develop it. Just wait for development to catch up with us and drive the value of the land up. We could pool our savings and and really set ourselves up. It was tempting. Neither of us knew anything about real estate, but both of us thought something along the lines of, well, how hard can it be? I suspected even then that it might be hard. The road was unpaved and impassable in the winter. I doubted that water, sewer, gas, or electric was connected, but the worst objection I said out loud, I don't think Anchorage will grow enough to make this land valuable. After 10 years of oil industry growth, everything now felt like it was diminishing. I wanted to help my friend, but more than that, I wanted to get out of town. But my friend looked like my words were kicking at his dream. I quickly said, oh, it's a great idea, though. I'm sure you'll make something happen here. I, I just can't. It didn't soften the blow. I was leaving, and he wasn't. We didn't talk, as he drove me down the mountain and dropped me off at home. A couple of days before I left home, my dad greeted me in the morning with, let's go for a drive. The air was hazy and overcast, but it looked like it might clear up later. We climbed into the pickup truck and went south along the shore of Turnigan Arm and down the Kenai Peninsula. The ocean was gray as usual. What did we talk about? Uh, First, I think we both avoided saying anything important. The few words we spoke were there to fill dead air. I was nervous about leaving home. He was nervous about me going away. We shared memories of family stories, most of which I wrote down in this book. He apologized for giving unsolicited advice, but then he gave me more advice. Most of it was useful. Several times he told me that he was proud of me and that he loved me. We didn't stop anywhere most of the day. We just drove. Sometimes he was at the wheel. Sometimes I was. We drove past Girdwood where the ski resort was, past Russian River where we used to hike in the summer, and Even looking out through a dirty windshield at all the places I knew as a kid, I could see how special, how unique it was. But at the same time, it was ordinary. As beautiful as it was, this was my home and as familiar as a piece of furniture in the living room. Glaciers falling to the sea was the impossible and dangerous dream of my father when he was a child in Pittsburgh. To me, they were normal not normal and downright frightening was the prospect of living in faraway cities that he already knew my life path was to be the opposite of my father's and as we both looked out the muddy windshield at the same scene at the same time we were in different worlds late in the afternoon we pulled over at a small parking lot with room for a handful of cars no one else was there A trail marker was at one end, and we began to stretch our legs and walk. We talked a bit, even though my father had to shout over his shoulder at me as we walked the twisted path in single file. It was late in the season, wet and muddy. We balanced on tree roots to stay out of puddles. In less than 20 feet, the forest blotted out any sign or sound of the highway behind us. We kept walking on a steady incline. This was a path I had not seen before, but Dad seemed to know it well. He walked steadily and quickly. He didn't dawdle. I loved everything I could see, smell, and feel around me, but mourned the imminent loss of it. I knew that I wouldn't see it again, and I already missed it. I loved everything I could see, smell, and feel around me but mourned the imminent loss of it. I knew that I wouldn't see it again, and I already missed it. There was an increase of the incline where I managed to step into a shallow puddle, and my running shoe slipped forward in the mud as I avoided falling by contracting my spine in a way that only a 17-year-old can survive. Feeling annoyed, I kicked the mud off my shoe and then looked up. My father had walked about 20 feet ahead, where the trees had cleared. Ahead of him was a glacial lake surrounded by mountain peaks rising directly from the water. The lake looked like a still pool of mercury that absorbed all sound into its unknown depths. At the water's edge, everything was calm. Up at the peaks, wind blew as fast as a jet stream and pushed the clouds over the ridges like dry ice steam pouring over the edges of a punch bowl at Halloween. The sun was lower in the sky by then, and it painted the snow and clouds with pink and gold light. Without words, we stood next to each other and watched. My flight left after dinner. Unlike normal times in our family, there wasn't much conversation. This was the last time I had with my brother, my sisters, and my parents. Even though, of course, we would see each other again, it it wouldn't be the same. I felt guilty to be leaving eagerly and already missed them. At the gate, we all hugged and said goodbyes. Every word and every gesture seemed inadequate. I walked to the plane and then looked back. They stood together and waved. Too soon, I thought. This was an end to shared stories, abrupt and premature. I walked into the plane, sat down, and took off. An hour later, I got out of my seat and walked to one of the exit doors where I could look out a window. The full moon, illuminated snow-covered mountains. I ached for my family and for Alaska. And where do I go from here?